Good evening. This is To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr, a show that proves that different political opinions do not have to end in feuds and the breakdown of friendships. My name is George Cup, and I'll be joined by my co-host and political opposite, Callum Gurr. Good evening, everybody. That's right, George is a hardline Brexiteer and true blue Conservative, whereas I'm a Lib Dem and Ramona, but despite these different standpoints, we are still good friends. Tonight we'll be asking, should the troubles be compulsorily taught in all UK schools? Which of these is the best way for politics to better engage with young people? And finally, do you trust reality TV stars? Which each of these discussions being accompanied by polls that you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week, we asked you to send in your opinions on the following question. Do you believe in life after death? A nice, happy, cheerful question to start off the show with. Uh, so, uh, and as always, you guys have been uh, sending us lots and lots of messages. But let's kick off with our first one from Phoebe. And she says, I do believe in life after death, but I think it's a lot different uh, than what people think. When a person dies, they are dead and they turn into dirt. But the soul that was in your body goes before God for a review of what the person occupying that soul did. Then God determines where, which level of heaven that person will end up. It sounds quite holy and religious, but that's what I was brought up believing. And it's what I think to be true. Well, Callum. Do you uh, echo any of what Phoebe is saying? Um, it, it sounds nice, to be fair, I must say. Um, uh, I, and I, I suppose when, when I was younger, I definitely would have echoed um, a, a lot of what she was saying because I, I always used to think that, that when you died, you, um, you, you'd go up to heaven and you'd be... I think in The Simpsons, they always have them going up to the gate and there's like a waiting yeah. list and that really left a mark on me and and i thought it was like that but but i thought you you'd get let into heaven everyone would but then you'd get your chance basically to then go and and be reborn so through like karma sort of thing but but basically it would be like when when you get there at the gate um when you when you first died you'd be like oh this life i i want to be a frog or i want to be a wolf or whatever and then you'd go on like a waiting list and you'd wait until there was a space for, you know, enough wolves had died, basically, that you were next on the waiting list to go down there and be a wolf. Uh, and, and, and so I think that's quite similar to, to what, um, what Phoebe said. I don't necessarily believe it now, I must say. Uh, but mine is, um, much more, um, uh, bonkers than what, than <laughs> what Phoebe has said, to be fair. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if, if that is, as Phoebe said, if basically you go to to a review um, and, and things like that, I, I think that's, you know, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for life after death. What, what do you think, George? I So I, I was uh, brought up a Christian and I'm christened and everything, but I don't really believe in God. Um, I, I think it's a nice idea, but I, I personally don't believe in, in God. And, and I think that religion when it comes down to it with death and everything is is very much a nice kind of comfort um and i'm sure probably when i am on my deathbed hopefully no time soon um i will be 
trying to to think of things like this because it can be quite a scary situation and I, and I think it's quite a nice um, idea to think that your life isn't just going to end here you do carry your life in in God's presence um, and yeah I, I I think it's a nice idea from from Phoebe and it's a nice way to to look after death and not be frightened of death um, but personally I unfortunately don't believe um, of the waiting room for heaven but there we go that's just my opinion yeah yeah i do think it is that is a big part of it though um it's um a, a lot of beliefs in and there's obviously massively varied beliefs in what happens right after death but a lot of that is just it's a, it's a coping mechanism with, with death right rightly or wrongly i think um, moving on to our next opinion, it's from Benny. Benny said, I would like to believe that your spirit goes to a higher level, but I'm one of those types of people that just need proof to be able to believe something like that. I do look out for evidence of it, but nothing has made me change my mind. So, for now, I'm satisfied that when you die, it's the end of your life. What do you make of that, George? Um, I, I, again, I think it's a lovely, lovely idea from um the spirits go to a higher higher level um but but i i just i do believe that you know uh as as benny kind of indicates here that you you have to be quite satisfied that once you die then that that is it really um but at, but at the same time i i'm someone that believes in ghosts and spirits and stuff and and i do believe that you can be in contact with dead people so they're to me, there is that evidence there that you can can still possibly be in that element in the world as as a ghost. But uh, the, 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 do you know what the hardest thing is through all of these opinions is that yeah. we it's really hard to argue for anything because none of us know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that is um, a massive problem with this. I mean, I think it's it's quite interesting because um, and I'm going to kind of pose this as a question to you, George, but. There's a, there's a Marxist belief um, that basically beliefs in life after death and and that you're going to go to a to a, a higher place as it were and and it, there's going to be no pain and suffering and all, all of these things. They believe that a belief in that sort of thing is is used as a kind of construct of uh, the elites in in society um, to make people who who are oppressed in this life accept it because of the promise of that they're, they're going to have a great time, you know, when they get to heaven, essentially. Do, yeah. do you think there's any uh, tr- truth in that, in, in that Marxist belief? Um, possibly. I, I, I mean, again, I think it's a, it's a kind of like that, the idea to have after death and, and that, that, that uh, prospect of that, that there is something there, but at the same time, I, it's just, so hard i wish we could ask someone that has experienced it but we can't yeah yeah i mean well i mean you say that but obviously there are people who have had um near-death experiences when they've been um medically uh dead for all intents and purposes but then they've been resuscitated um and and obviously they, they quite often have very um uh reflective um experiences and, and quite often there are there are examples of people that have actually said they now believe in god or, or where they weren't really a practicing christian or muslim or 
or whatever faith they 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 now are because they they've seen it and they 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 now believe so so i guess in in a sense they could arguably be our closest way of actually understanding these things that's very true. Um, our next opinion comes from Carly, and they say, I've been brought up Catholic, so I do believe in life after death. From a non-religious angle, I believe that after a person has died, their mind or soul is still around. Even Stephen Hawkins, who is an atheist, said that he thought there was life after death. Before a person is born, you do not, you do not exist yet. After you die, however, I believe that someone somehow your mind or your soul which is what makes you a human is still alive i'm saying this completely non-religiously it's not like you're a ghost but in a state of happiness forever our minds are so advanced that i don't think they can suddenly disappear when you die callum thoughts yeah i mean again uh, as you say george it's really difficult to 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 you, I don't think you should ever really forcefully argue against these things because uh, these, these aren't these are obviously opinions, but not in the the, the normal sense of the word. But word because, mm. as you say, we just we just can't know at all. Um, and and I think you know if our our minds and our or, or our souls do kind of stay around, or there's an essence of them that stays around, I think that's undoubtedly. Um, a good thing, you know. I think it's also good from Carly to kind of qualify that and saying that that this isn't quite the same uh, as ghosts, because obviously, if not, it does sound a bit uh, a bit ghouly, I suppose. What do you think, George? <laughs> um, yeah, again, I, I completely echo what you're saying, Callum. Uh, but but as well, I do I do kind of like that the idea that our minds are so advanced that we still kind of live in that happy bubble where we get to relive our life. And there's there's that um, idea that when you die, your brain plays out your whole life in front of you. Um, and there's always that theory that that is actually what you're living right now um it's a very backwards and forwards theory um and 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 i do think that's such a lovely idea to have and and look i as much as i am an atheist i i will hold my hands up and and happily say that um i hope there is something after i do die (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i i would completely echo that as an atheist myself as well uh just getting in from the the final message we've got in from lucas lucas said a part of me thinks there must be an afterlife because why else would life be this full and busy if it suddenly ended after like 70 years? But then another part of me thinks that there is absolutely no logical reason to assume there is an afterlife. So we have to make this life as fun as possible. Literally, enjoy your life. It's all you have. I think that's actually a really nice way to end things, George. What do you think of that? Yeah, I I absolutely agree with Lucas. You know, this is um this is the only life we're going to get to live, so why not make the most of it? Um absolutely. YOLO. YOLO. Oh god. That's so <laughs> 2013. Throwback, throwback. I love it. <laughs> right. Okay. So, remember we will be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So, make sure you're ready for that for your chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show, but it is now time for the first on break of this evening. So, we will be back very soon. <laughs>
Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So time to move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we are asking the question, should the troubles be compulsorily taught in all schools? So the history of Ireland and Northern Ireland has been the focus of much attention in the past few years, with MPs from all sides of the Brexit debate insisting they do not want to see a return to the daily terror that was a symptom of the Irish Troubles. The Troubles refers to the ethno-nationalist conflict between Unionists, i.e. those in favour of Northern Ireland being part of the UK, and Republicans, i.e. those in favour of Northern Ireland reuniting with the rest of the Irish Republic. The conflict regularly saw bombing and terror campaigns carried out by both sides against the other, and resulted in more than 3,500 people being killed, of whom 52% were civilians, 32% were members of the British security forces, and 16% were members of paramilitary groups. The focus Brexit negotiations have had on avoiding such bloody scenes has raised the question, how much does the general public actually know about the conflict? Would all sides of debate not be better served by being taught explicitly about these troubling times? George, do you think the troubles should be compulsorily taught in all schools? Um, I think it's really important for every single child or uh, teenager to understand the full history of the United Kingdom and to understand the impacts of different elements of history um, and the the way that it has affected the, the life we live today um, and the, the laws that we, we have in place and the governments that we have as well. And I think the troubles um, as a whole is something that for me isn't taught enough and there isn't actually uh, enough um, conversations even going on about it I feel like it's something that people I mean maybe quite rightly try and forget but at the same time it is so important that we are um, ensuring that our children and future generations understand what 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 happened in our country as a whole Um, I, I think as as much as it, it links to elements of the troubles, the IRA um, and, the, and the terrorist attacks around that was a massive kind of um, influence. And, and I feel a lot more people are just focused on being taught about the IRA or, or being of the knowledge about the IRA rather than looking at the whole picture with the troubles and all of the history around that. Um, I was someone that uh, I did my dissertation in terrorism and my degree was um, partly around um, policing and terrorism. And I will hold my hands up when um, Mr. Gurr suggested this question. I had to do some research around this because I wasn't particularly sure about the actual um, impacts and everything that, that went on around the troubles. And, and I actually felt quite embarrassed as a um someone that's got a degree in in terrorism and and not knowing at counterterrorism not terrorism um <laughs> not actually knowing what it what it actually was so i totally believe that we sh- that we should be um teaching this um 
compulsory in schools because it is incredibly important, especially with everything that's been going on with Brexit and the backstop. And because I think a lot of people don't truly understand the impact that could happen if there was a backstop to be there. I mean, we know there won't be now, but um, if there was one to be there. But what what do you think, Callum? Do you think it's right that we um, make sure this is compulsory in schools? Yeah, I think it's absolutely vital really that, that, that it should be compulsory in schools um but certainly all the while um northern ireland remains in the united kingdom uh, i think it it's an integral part of, of understanding our own history and if you look at how much it still has an effect um upon us today especially in northern ireland obviously you you fairly regularly unfortunately still do see um, some terror attacks happen, although thank God it's nowhere near um, as bad as what it was during the Troubles. Um, but also from a wider UK perspective, as as I pointed out in the intro, and, and anyone really knows, it's having a massive impact upon Brexit negotiations. Um, and, and it does just in general have a, a, a massive impact um, upon the government of the UK. Um, you know, look in Parliament, um, uh, Sinn Féin um, MPs still don't come and sit in, in Westminster. And that, yeah. that's partly a legacy of the Troubles and the, the kind of ethno-nationalist conflict that was going on in Ireland at that time. Um, and if you look um, at Stormont at the Northern Ireland Assembly um, and the Good Friday Agreement, it, it says that um, effectively... In Northern Ireland, there has to be a unionist and there has to be a Republican Party in government at the same time. And, and that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to form governments in Northern Ireland. Um, and it's one of the reasons why it hasn't sat for um, a very long time. And, and the direct rule has effectively come back to, to Northern Ireland at the moment. Um, and I, I think having a broader understanding of why um, it, it's so vital that there's a unionist and Republican Party in government and, and why there's such sensitivities about religion and national identity and, and border control more, um, more broadly. Um, uh, having a better understanding of, of these things will help us to, to just to really... Emphasize is the wrong word, but but to sympathize, I suppose, with, with these and, and properly um, understand them. Um, and, and I would say that um, for anyone that's kind of looking to uh, learn a little bit more about this, that there is actually a really good documentary at the moment on BBC, on BBC iPlayer, um, called something like A Secret History of the Troubles or something like that. And I think that is good. Um, but that does bring me on to a, a really good point, which is, uh, and, it, and it's a problem that I think we will suffer from in a British perspective, which is um, playing to your base a little bit too much sometimes. Maybe we need to make sure that the if we're teaching the troubles, we don't treat this as an ep episode in patriotism and showing, oh, the, the Brits were so good in, in this conflict and, and the unionists were so good. And the Republicans were so bad. And, and obviously, the actual truth of the matter is that uh, there was a lot of bad from the Republican side, but there's also a lot of bad from the Unionist side. Um, mm -hmm. And we need to make sure 
that if this is compulsory, that there is that more balance to these things. Yeah, and I, and I think you you make a really good point there. Um, in the I think unfortunately a lot of the times when uh, the history books or we we teach history as a country, we like to make out the point of how fantastic our country was in defeating people and and doing certain things. And there are lots of elements of our history that we don't actually speak up about where we were horrible and um and also a lot of battles where yes we might have come out victorious but this the other side was took a lot of injuries and also we did some quite horrific things in in certain elements of maybe for example world war Two. um and there are i think we try too hard to paint a picture of of how well we did and try and just and, and by making it out as if we were victorious that i suppose is a way that we try and justify it in the history books and i i don't think that is right we have to make sure that whenever we teach um subjects like this and issues like this that an argument on both sides is very clearly hit, um heard it's with anything you know when callum and i debate we always ensure that we both give each other enough time and we both inform the audience you listeners enough from both of our sides and we we don't play it one-sided so i i think it's so important as an um in terms of our our curriculum that we have to ensure that that it is an equal footing in terms of being taught from the um irish side and and our side as it were yeah yeah and i suppose just in in that spirit of uh, showing both sides i suppose the argument against this would be um that there's obviously a lot of important uh subjects around history that feature in the national curriculum um at the moment um, so then it does come a question of, of what parts of history do we only skim over um, or completely omit from the curriculum entirely? And George, do you have any thoughts on that about what uh, particular parts of history you think maybe we should be skimming over a bit more um, or um, omission Oosh. entirely? I think maybe parts of um are uh, the British Empire. I think we we focus a lot. Well, I mean, the the curriculum could have changed, but when I was in school, I felt like we focused a lot on around the British Empire and, and a lot about our successes and not as much about our downfalls as a yeah. um, as a past. And I think we, when it comes to something like the British Empire, yes, maybe quickly teach the fact that um, the idea that the sun never set on our empire, but at the same time we were one of the biggest influences in the slave trade. Um, and I don't believe that is taught enough. So so I think if we could promote those kind of elements and, and retract from making our country seem this glorious, amazing, victorious, victorious place, then I think it would be a lot better. Um, but do you, do you have similar thoughts as well? Um, see, I think I'd be looking to skim over rather than completely admit but skim over more of the really early history not necessarily like the romans and things like that or, or the vikings but more in terms of quite often in secondary school when you're learning about medieval history and 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 early modern history and and kind of the when you're just going through what all of the monarchs were and going through all of their reigns um i i, I think that that arguably doesn't really inform upon the present 
particularly well. And I think a, a huge job of history is mm. to actually inform upon the present and, and, and make us see why things are the way they are. And I think skimming over those things I've just mentioned would serve the purpose of, of doing that much better than going into real, real nitty-gritty detail, which you can do if you want to do that at UCSE or or, or at A-level or, or even academically at, at university level. Um, so, so I think that would be where I'd maybe be looking to admit in place of having things like the Troubles and maybe a more internationally focused history. Absolutely. Um, right then, time to go on to our second song break of this evening. But remember to vote on this poll. Should the troubles be compulsory taught in all schools? You do that at wizardbrado.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. And for the very last question, should the troubles be compulsorily taught in all schools? And to find out the results to that poll, head over to our Twitter page, that's at Wiz Radio. <laughs> okay, let's move on to our third discussion of this evening. And we're asking the question, which of these is the best way for politics to better engage with young people? So Callum and I, for a very long time, have um, been advocates to make sure that younger people get involved in politics and that is one of the reasons why we started this radio um, st- program because we wanted to help engage with fellow young young people to make sure that they had a voice and make sure that they could understand about um, debating and, and ensuring that just because you have different opinions you don't have to fall out um, but it, I do worry um, that sometimes the people in Westminster in Parliament feel like they are above younger people and sometimes young people feel very disconnected to um, parliament as well and I think a lot of the time they are very right to feel disconnected so because of this we want to know why or what even um, could be done to try and help engage more people uh, younger people to get involved within politics and not be afraid to stand up for what they believe in so out of these following options, simplified language, make politics compulsory in school, more interaction from MPs or younger MPs. And as always, before I shoot this off to our lovely listeners, I have to go to my um, all right bit of opinionated person, Mr. Callum Gurr. What do you think? <laughs> Charming. Uh, <laughs> we're trying to make a lot of things compulsory in school tonight, aren't we? Just we are. Yeah. Um, yeah, so out of these, which do I think is the best option? Um, I think realistically simplified language is the, is really the, the best option, I think. Um, I think by that, I mean maybe getting rid of or at least cutting down a lot of the stuffy parliamentary protocol, um, which is, is based upon conventions from God knows when, um, not to be extremely critical of it. But, but I think um, there is a reason why uh, Parliament is a bit of an, an old gents club, although it ha- is, has got better in recent years. And I think a large part of that is the protocol there actually, I think, actively encourages um, Parliament to be 
made up of more elderly people um, who are far more likely to uh, understand this protocol and come from a, a more uh, wealthy background as such. So I think a really powerful way that more young people would be engaged with is simplify the language because I, I think also then um, if it's talked, talked about in terms that people can understand um, then there won't be such this conception of um, politics being for people who aren't cool and things like that which <laughs> incidentally actually is only a conception I think you really have um, when you're in school and maybe early on in university and then I think that really fades a lot um, and, and suddenly everyone has an interest in politics really other than a, a few people but a lot of people do especially I think a lot of young, uh, young university age girls have um, an interest in politics as well um, so, but that's just more of an anecdote than, than anything. <laughs> uh, which of these do you think is the best, George? Um, well, I, I think uh, it's quite a hard choice, to be honest with you, because I think all of these bring um, good elements with them. But I, I do really agree with you in terms that simplified language is, is a great step forward in, in ensuring that there is that engagement because there is such a jargon that goes on um, within Parliament and from MPs um, that it can be very hard to understand. I mean, I work for an MP and sometimes the language that I come across, I'm like, what does that mean? Um, so there is definitely the, the argument to, to simplify the language that is used. I think personally, one of the best ways we can kind of have that relevancy of um, a relationship between uh, younger people and Parliament is by introducing and allowing younger MPs to come forward. For so long in all parties, um, we've seen a lot of middle aged people be there and, and a lot of older people be there. And it, it's, it's so out of touch. You know, there is this 50 50, um, parliament, which, which is, um, promoting more women into parliament, but, but to try and, um, have an equal saying because there's, actually a 50-50 split of a population with women and males so that should be represented in parliament so my argument is is that surely we should then have enough of a percentage of younger MPs in parliament to to help relate to the younger generations and, and speak for the younger generations I can't tell you how much it annoys me when I hear someone that is in their 60s saying well the kids want this and, I, and I'm like you've got no idea you were a kid about 40 years ago um so don't set demand what the kids want because they don't know um so and uh, moving on to um make politics compulsory in schools now i'm in two minds over this one because i can see why it is a good thing because obviously it means people will be knowledgeable and get engaged over politics but at the same time my fear is if we make it compulsory in schools then you could possibly put people off being engaged altogether because you make it into like a, a lesson and obviously you get examined upon that lesson. And I feel like there is a an element that, that wouldn't please a lot of people. So if we were to make it a compulsory in school, I feel like it should be um, as part of like your citizenship lessons or something like that, where you don't actually get 
tested on it. It's just more of um, increasing your knowledge on the area. So that that is my argument around the, the the make politics compulsory. But all in all, I do think essentially all of these are very good ideas. The person that came up with all these options is obviously very good. Um, so 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 yeah. But my argument would go for um, younger MPs. Yeah, yeah. I think the 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 issue around making com- politics compulsory in school um, is not necessarily a reason to not do it, but if you think about it, RE is, uh, or religious education is compulsory in school to my knowledge, or at least yeah. it was when we were in school. Um, and I still think there's a massive lack of understanding of other religions am- amongst people, mm. uh, as a particularly um, in, in towns like ours, George, where maybe there isn't as as much multiculturalism as what there is in, in say, London, um, where I think a lot of the time in more urban areas there maybe is a better understanding of other religions because they actually interact um, with these people and become friends with these people. Yeah. Um, but, but I think for, for um, less urban areas um, and in general, I think... The fact that RE is compulsory in school, or was compulsory perhaps, didn't really lead to people understanding religions any better. And I think it could be very similar in, in politics, in that, you know, RE is quite often seen as quite a boring subject, let's be frank. Yeah. Um, and politics, I think, could go a very similar way. And so I think there's a really good intention in making it compulsory, but I'm just not sure practically. Um, it would work, and then kind of on the on the final option, more interaction from MPs. Um, I think unless you address that really stuffy image that a lot of MPs have, and the base of of them, and in not usually being that young, I don't think that's going to particularly be effective. So, so I think really, if we're going to do this in kind of preferential way, I think kind of simplified language and younger MPs come as kind of part of a package uh, and from that that can lead to um, being able to have more interaction from MPs and, and qualitatively a better interaction. Yeah absolutely and and which of those options do you think is going to be the victorious one? I think younger MPs will probably come out on top. What about you? Um, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a Lib Dem here and say it will be between younger MPs or simplified language. Okay brilliant. Yes. So, right. Remember to vote um, on this question. Which of these is the best way for politics to better engage with young people? And the options are simplified language, make politics compulsory in schools, uh, more interaction from MPs or younger MPs. And you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back before you even know it. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, which of these is the best way for politics to better engage with young people? And to find out the results of that, please go to our Twitter page. That's at Wiz Radio. Right then, time to move on to our fourth and final discussion of this evening. And we are asking, do you trust reality TV stars? So from Love Island to TOWIE to I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here. Reality TV is all the rage nowadays. 
But a real key question people have and a real key criticism a lot of people have of reality TV is that it's very shallow, made up of scripted moments primarily. So we wanted to see what you listeners thought of this. But before, of course, I go to you listeners, I must ask George. So, George, do you trust reality TV stars or do you think it is very, very shallow? Um, Yeah, I think you rightly say that a lot of the uh, TV shows that are obviously reality TV shows are scripted as much as they say, you know, oh, no, it's, it's all it's all real. Unfortunately, a lot of the time it's not real and it is scripted. I mean, the, a lot of um, the celebrities from TOWIE have um, even admitted that uh, some parts is scripted. Um, I think it's always always great watching reality TV shows such as I'm a Celebrity um, and even Love Island. I, I do quite like seeing other people's lives and watching them live it out and everything. Um, but But as stars... I think that the element of trust is is not really there. Like I don't watch those shows to to then trust them and, and to trust their wisdom because I don't need to have that element in, within them. I'm, I'm not there to, to trust their opinion or anything. I'm there to watch them make a mess of their life. Um, so I would happily sit here and say that I don't think I do trust reality TV stars, if I'm honest, because... I don't have any need to do so. And if they come out with an opinion and say, you know, well, Brexit's a load of rubbish, then I'm just like, well, I don't care. Your your teeth are whiter than a piece of paper. Um, so, so yeah. But what do you think, Adam? Do you, uh, are you trustworthy in the stars of reality TV? Well, anyone who knows me will know I absolutely hate reality TV. Other than, I, I do actually like I'm a Celebrity, as it does, and I don't mind ones where they are celebrities and they do reality TV, but I absolutely hate the ones where they've just become famous for these completely scripted moments. And, and on yeah. that basis, I do not trust reality TV stars at all. Um, and and a, an argument I quite often get is because I, I, I'm not so much nowadays, but I definitely used to be quite a big fan of soaps. Um, and obviously... Soaps can quite rightly be criticised because sometimes the acting is not amazing, although I'd say it's always better than on reality TV, other than maybe if it's an actual actress in reality TV, but that's a completely different matter. Um, And also, I suppose there's an argument to be made that in soaps, uh, quite often characters' personalities change for a story. Um, But even so, I'd say there's something massively different between a soap and, and the kind of um, public good that it provides to society and, and the the entertainment value, I suppose, it has in comparison to reality TV. I mean, what, what do you make of that, George? Do you think there is anything different or do you think that um, we should treat soaps and reality TV in the same bracket? Oh, that's a really hard question that I wasn't expecting you to ask me. Um <laughs> There are definitely elements of them that are similar when we are saying that there are parts of um, reality TV shows that are scripted. But I think soaps, we we go and watch soaps with the mind that we know they are really, really, really scripted down to a T. Yeah. Um, and soaps 
in today's society have really created a society for themselves and a message for themselves in terms that they um, promote issues and stories that affect everyday lives and they put a really key message out there you know about getting tested for cancer about getting tested um, for diabetes and so on and so forth and i and i think that that message that the, the the ability that soaps have around that is really important and and i think that's where we can really differ reality tv and soaps because as much as i say reality tv is scripted there are still elements of that that aren't scripted and that, that are off the cuff and, and people are reacting sometimes live um and a lot of the time you know there are scenarios in reality tv where it's a lot it, it just doesn't have really any pure impact about every every everyday life and it's not really going to teach you a lesson i mean the, the biggest kind of impact on a lot of reality tv is oh my boyfriend split up with me um and that's about it really so that's where <laughs> i can really see the difference between the reality tv programs and also um soaps yeah yeah no i i completely agree i mean I just think that in the last few years, soaps have raised awareness of male suicide, homelessness, trans rights, and really kind of uh, just to name a few things, but really to move public opinion along and raise awareness of particular issues. And, and I'd say that in comparison to reality TV, reality TV generally doesn't do that. Um, although I, I, I'm sure there are some exceptions to that. Certainly. So I'm, I'm not dismissive of all reality TV, but I definitely think uh, in general, I'm not a fan of it and I don't really trust reality TV stars. Uh, right then, time to move on to our final sunbreak of this evening. But don't forget to vote on this poll. Do you trust reality TV stars? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen and we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before the break, we asked, do you trust reality TV stars? And to find out the results to that poll, head over to our Twitter page. That's at Wiz Radio. Right then, we've actually reached that sad, sad time on your Sunday evening when it's time to end the show. So thanks very much for listening to To Be Discussed with Carpenter. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. So, as mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like to hear your opinions on the following question, which we promise we haven't taken from somebody else's question. <laughs> um, in 200 years, what will our generation be remembered for? And you could do that by sending us an email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter, that's at wizradio. So remember, that question is, in 200 years, what will our generation be remembered for? Um, and we are really, really looking forward to hearing your opinions uh, next week. But it is now time for Callum and I to be leaving. So as always, I'm now going to go and audition for um, The Only Way is Essex. And I've been George Lawrence Cup. And I'm definitely, definitely not. I'm Callum. Yeah. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. <laughs> we'll be back next week for another episode of To Be Discussed. Goodbye, guys. Ciao for now.